Hey y'all, you're listening to In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile. I'm Spun Counter Guy. Thanks for stopping by. On this episode, we're back in the car riding around a particular locale to pick up a few stories and maybe some insight. And today's designation is my hometown of Boonville, Indiana. And our tour guide is my own father. Dad's going to tell us about the links folks will go to eat a Long John Silver's meal, a small town sport that happens to be a federal offense, a murderer connected to a massage parlor, and the crisis of getting ripped off for seven cents. So let's get to it. I feel no shame. I'm proud of where I came from. I was born and raised in the Bondi. First of all, how did you first hear of Boonville, Indiana? Well, it was through the church. Back then, they had um, rallies, I guess you would call them, every so often. And uh, all the churches of the denomination in this zone, so to speak, they would meet at one church and maybe they'd have a special speaker or emphasis on Sunday school or something. But they took attendance. And uh, they had this traveling banner, attendance banner, and they'd see, uh, they'd go through all the list of churches. How many from uh, Chandler stand up? And they'd count them. How many from Folsomville? And they'd stand up. How many from each church? And whoever had the most got the banner. I don't know why, but back then that was a big deal, you know. Mm -hmm. Now it sounds pretty lame, you know, to have this. <laughs> and they'd hang this banner in their church, you know. They had the attendance banner for the Sunday school rally or whatever it was. But my first knowledge of Boonville was one of those rallies was held at the Boonville church. And at that time, that was way off in the wild blue yawn. I mean, Boonville was just way out there. It was a big deal to travel so far to this little bitty town you know we didn't we didn't know anything about it you know but uh that was my first knowledge of boom it was just some little town way 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 far away down the highway boonville's known for coal mining pretty much yeah well it is the county seat for warwick county uh, i guess at one time it was the larger cities it's not anymore i don't think but we discussed in another episode you got a job here yes so Boonville has a few characters. Yes. There was a lady who had something in her hair. Give us her biography. Well, this was a friend of a friend. But there was a local doctor here, uh, a general practitioner. He worked in the hospitals, had his own private practice. But his wife was, uh, they were kind of country bumpkins, so to speak, even though he was a doctor. And his wife, uh, I, I don't know what the deal was with her. She um, had a parakeet or some kind of little pet bird that she would travel around with on her shoulder. And I guess she liked attention. She'd take it to Walmart and all that. But it got to where it would nest up in her hair. She had, you know, some kind of big hairdo. And the bird got to where it liked to set up in there in her hair. Being a doctor and having... Uh, better than average finances, the church they went to was kind of over a barrel. They didn't want to offend the doctor and his wife, but she'd come to church and had this bird in her hair. <laughs> now, most of the time, she was down in children's church. And, of course, you know, kids, they liked it. They thought it was great for his lady to be 
having a bird in her hair. And, you know, <laughs> you can imagine the discussions and the, the problem that caused within the church leadership, you know, what are they going to do? But he probably was a good tither and probably was the best tither they had. The one story I heard about is uh, they had vacation Bible school every summer, like all the churches did back then. And she was in charge of the cookies, you know. And uh, every day at Bible school, she'd bed down in the basement with the kids, and she would, they would go through the serving line, and they'd see her bird up in her hair and, and laugh and talk about it, and she'd serve them cookies. Well, one day, someone had, one of the kids had to tell her, said, hey, the bird made a mess in your hair. <laughs> so the bird, you know, birds, they toot every... Yeah. I don't know how come it hadn't happened before, but anyway, it was just a gross story that... <laughs> Here's this lady serving cookies in the vacation Bible school line with this bird in her hair nonetheless, and the bird takes a poo. <laughs> you know, I don't know what the outcome was on that, but that was a story that, you know, it happened, and that's that. Let's all sing like the birdies sing. Tweet, 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 tweet. Let's all sing like the birdies sing. I'd say Boonville is pretty safe, or it was when we were growing up. Not a whole lot of crime, but maybe you can correct me on that, because as a kid, maybe we didn't know a lot of what was really going on. But our house did get broken into at one point. Yes. The story was, Stacy was too trusting of people. Stacy, my little sister. Yeah, she... She was a little bit anti-establishment in her in her own way, and she went through this period where you could trust everybody. Everybody was a good person; didn't make a difference how they looked, how they acted, and all that. She kind of went through that period, and she's over that now. <laughs> I think so. But she had some friends visit her, and we we tried not to be judgmental, but they were rough looking, you know. We probably should have put her foot down. I don't know. But she had some rough friends in one day. And one too long after that, we came home from church and a house had been broken into. As it turns out, it was these people that really had betrayed her. I think they only came to the house for that reason to scope it out. And apparently they knew from conversation with her or something that we went to church every Sunday night. So they they broke in. It's funny, you just come in and the back door's open, and the first thing you say is, who left the back door open, you know? Right. You don't, you don't, it doesn't soak in right off the bat. Trying to accuse whoever left the back door open. Well, then you find out there's a window open, too. And then you find out there's footprints and things are messed up. Then it finally dawns on you what's happened. And then you find out that uh, they broke in and took some things. What did they take? It was mostly CDs, believe it or not. Uh, mostly Stacy's she had in her room, and a lot of them I had in my collection. I had all my CDs marked with my address, and they didn't see it. And, of course, mine were of my uh, musical flavor, and they didn't want those, so they took them and sold them to the pawn shop. <laughs> hers they kept because they were a little more modern. So she didn't get hers back. I got most of mine back. <laughs> But then they stole a gun I had. I really hated to lose that. 38 revolver. Never recovered that. And uh, had a, we had a small collection of silver coins. 
they got that. And they probably just went and split them at the arcade. Probably didn't even know the value of them being silver coins. The, the police department had a reputation of not really caring too much about break-ins. And from other experiences of other co-workers, they were known to not get too enthused about a, a residential break-in. They just they basically had the attitude, well, we'll never solve it. It's penny ante, don't, you know. So, for some reason, I thought, well, where would the first place people go if they broke in to get stuff? And I thought, well, the pawn shop. So I thought, just as a wild card, I thought surely they wouldn't sell them here in the local town. Where, But I called the pawn shop guy. I knew him. And I said, hey, by the way, told him a few things that we had missing. We had a house break in. I said, if my CDs, they're marked. They got my name and address on them. I told them where they were. They're right there on the back. Anybody could have seen them. I said, if you get any, by chance you buy any of those or see them, let me know. Well, that was in the morning of that day. I came back from lunch and there was a, uh, he'd left a message on my phone. He said, hey, I just bought some of your CDs. So then I'd, of course, call the police department. But the police had nothing to do with solving that. Between the pawn shop and myself, you know, we solved it ourselves. It's kind of funny. In the end, they were bragging about how quick they were able to solve this crime. And I thought, well, you guys didn't, you told me not to worry about it. We'd never solve it. It's just a small town break-in. It happens all the time. Probably just a bunch of kids wanting some money. We'll never solve it. And, you know, they kind of blew me off, you know. But then they want to take credit of it about how fast they solved it. And really, they didn't do anything. It's it kind of pitiful. But, yeah, so, I actually went to the trial. And um, they actually made the guy pay, pay press restitution. I think he only had to pay half because there was two guys. Mm -hmm. Never heard what happened to the other guy. But the law, his lawyer and his family wanted to get him uh, on the straight and narrow, and so they didn't. They didn't resist paying the restitution, and we got the money for his half of the break-in. Later on, I don't know, maybe it's another year. The sheriff calls me and says, "Hey, we still have the evidence from this break-in. Uh, it's of a certain." time period now you can come and get it we've got it bagged up out here so i said okay i wasn't for sure what they had but uh so i went out to the sheriff's and they gave me this brown paper bag with stuff in it. and i kind of glanced in it and there was a knife and some uh, videotape and some other stuff it didn't look familiar <laughs> but it kind of looked familiar i thought well whatever so i took it home and the more i looked at it the more i realized it wasn't mine <laughs> It wasn't my evidence, and the bag, my evidence bag had my name on it. You know, had their little stamp they put on a brown paper bag and the case number and my name. So I called out there later on. I said, hey, uh, I think they got mixed up. I said, this evidence bag is it, not mine. It's somebody else's. Well, just bring it by and drop it off then. And that was the end of it. And I th thought, well, if you don't care more about it than I do, I'm not going to bother bringing it out there and giving it to you. You know, somebody else has got my evidence, you know. <laughs> It was just nothing. I think I gave you the knife. Yeah, I have it to this day. Yeah. I don't know. Kind of irked me, the <laughs> slip shot of, you know, you would think they would say, oh, man, we're sorry. Bring that back. We want to straighten that out. But no, they, they showed no interest. Drop it off if you want to. Basically, two people were wrong. You know, some, whoever got mine got the wrong evidence, and I got somebody else's evidence, and they just didn't care. <laughs> Can you tell folks about the Trader's Post? 
Yeah, the local radio is small town radio, and every day about noon, around the noontime, they had the, what they called the trading post. And you could send in a postcard of what you had for sale, and the announcer, he would read through them, and they'd take a lot of phone calls. They'd take phone calls, you'd call in, you could say, hey, I got some chicken coops for sale out here, and, and I got an old cultivator, and I want $5 for the cultivator, and $2 for each chicken, you know. You could do that. And then between phone calls, they'd read the postcards, you know, read off whatever you wanted to, whatever you wanted to sell, they'd read it, you know. Now, you, you and some friends made a theme song for them? First of all, we messed with them. We called in and said we had a sail cat for sale. A what? A sail cat is a dead cat been flattened down on the highway, and you can, <laughs> you can throw it like a frisbee. <laughs> and they called them sail cats. But the announcer didn't know... <laughs> <laughs> Is he not from Boonville or something? Yeah, but you know they're they're in their own little private world, and you know that was just you know like roadkill uh, lingo is what it was, you know a sail cat. So he he takes the call. Yeah, we got a sail cat for sale out here, and then we had a bunch of guys. This we did this at work, and other guys on the other extensions they were going meow meow. <laughs> And the old announcer says, yeah, it sounds like you got a bunch of cats out there, you know. He never did catch on a sale cat. Had a sale cat for sale. But, uh, yeah, I don't know what happened. One day, somebody decided to write a song. I think it was a tune of Jingle Bell. It was, it? yeah. And so all the guys from the shop at that time, we all gathered up in uh, my pole barn, and we recorded it, the song. <laughs> Another guy wrote the words to it. It was just a goofy Song trading post, and uh, they we could put it on a cassette tape, and they played it and used it for a while. You know, small town radio station, they do things like that. They were the you know the connection for all the things in the community. They did the ball, the the hometown ball games, the high school ball games, and they were the ones you checked if uh, it was a snow day or you know school was called off. That was their. That's where you found out all that kind of stuff. Of course, they get phone calls, you know, people calling in wanting to know, is there going to be school today? Well, with one particular time, they had made several announcements that there, there was not going to be any school today. Please, nobody call. They couldn't get anything done at the radio station because people kept calling. So what did we do? You kept calling. We started calling. <laughs> and they'd say, please do not call. They're not having school today. And of course... That was like saying sick him to a dog, you know. <laughs> so we called and just irritated him to death, you know. I don't know why we didn't have anything better to do. but I could be getting my stories mixed up, but I remember you got a car. I don't know if it was off a training post or maybe out of the newspaper. Back when I was repairing washing machines, I um, went to this lady's house to repair something. And she had a Chevy car out in her driveway park and the weeds is all grown up and wound up. You could tell it had been there a long time. It, it was nasty. It looked like the chickens had been roosting and it just sat there and sat there. And I got to asking about, yeah, well, she'd went through a divorce and I don't know how she got stuck with it, but it just sat there. They, she didn't want it. Her husband wouldn't take it. I don't know. But I asked her, I said, well, you want to get rid of it? She says, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'd like to get it out of the way. And it had been there for years. 
I said, what do you want for it? She said, oh, $25. So, you know, $25, the battery's worth that, I thought. Yeah. So I went down there with a, a car and, I don't know, one of the kids or mom or somebody, somebody else, and we jump-started. The thing started right away. We took off and brought mm-hmm. it home. Now, it was a mess. I drove it for a while. It wasn't worth putting tags and registering, but I did. But it was just an old, big old car that... It was so pitiful on the inside, it just wasn't worth anything. Me and my sisters, we, we were digging around in between the cushions. We found all kinds of stuff. I bet. Toys yeah. and money, and uh, I found a belt, and I wore that for a few years. Who knows where all that car had been, but eventually, I don't know what happened to where you just let a car sit for mm-hmm. no reason at all. So a guy at work, he was kind of a mechanic type, and I figured... If anybody would want it, he would. The engine would be worth something, you know, parts or whatever, transmission, whatever he wanted to do. So I said, hey, you interested in that car? He said, yeah. He said, well, what do you want to... And I said, well, what have you got, you know? And at one time, his daughter would play in the band, and she had a trombone they'd left there at the house, I guess. And he said, well, I got that trombone. And, you know, that sounded good to me. I only had $25 in it, in the car, so I figured Tom Bowe was worth $25. So I traded him. But the guys at work, they thought that was the funniest thing, that I would take a trombone on a car. Yeah. But from my angle, you know, it wasn't worth anything. It was, it was, it was destroyed on the inside. I only had $25 in it. I thought, well, I'll take it to church. Somebody will play it at church, you know. Maybe he made a big deal out of it. You know, old Dave, I got old Dave. You know, I gave him old trombone for that car. Because <laughs> now there are so many bunnies. Oh, me, oh, my. You want to buy a bunny? In the spirit of balanced journalism, I'm going to insert a conversation I had with one of my friends in Boonville, a guy I grew up with and who will remain anonymous for reasons that will become clear very soon. So, for the uninitiated to country rural life, uh, there's the great sport of mailbox baseball. Talk, tell, Explain to folks what that is. Um, we drive around neighborhoods. Normally, you'd have a guy hanging out the window with a ball bat, and you would just uh, demolish mailboxes. As much as that sounds like a, a lowest common denominator kind of activity, that actually does involve some skill because you can hurt yourself if you don't do it right. Because when you're driving in a truck, you're going fairly fast and you got to hit it just right and, and also kind of give yourself a little bit of leeway uh, because you could you could break your arm for one thing. It could bounce back and hit you in the face. Yeah. Somebody that we would run around with was using a uh, golf club and there was a person hanging out the window, but there was also a guy in the back of the truck and when he brought it back, he hit the person in the face. <laughs> <laughs> they had to get stitches in their forehead. <laughs> Probably served them right. It is a federal Probably, offense. Yeah. yeah. We started off with ball bats, and then like, we used golf clubs, and it just kind of escalated. And we started going down to Castle, and that road right next to Castle was all riprap rock. Mm-hmm. So my friends that had pickup trucks, we would use one of their pickup trucks. We would pull up, and we would fill the bed of the truck full of rocks and then drive around neighborhoods in Newburgh. It took a lot of skill. You got to time it just right. You go in like 40 mile an hour and chuck a rock out and hit the mailbox. But I mean, if you hit it right, it would just explode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now my dad. So someone got our mailbox. Yeah. I don't know if it was on a wooden post or what or something. But but I know I decided that wasn't going to happen no more. And I, I got a pipe about six inches in diameter. And I put it in the ground and... 
if they ran into that with their car, they're going to be doing some damage, you know. So um, it's just my way of vengeance. Like, hit that, see what happens, you know. <laughs> Probably jar their eye teeth. But it was made of pipes and angle iron. It was, it was heavy duty. The mailbox itself was, even the best ones were sheet metal. Uh-huh. So if you hit them from the top, you could squash them. And back to my friend. We also, like in the event of doing that, would drive around and we thought it was funny to uh, get a wheel off in someone's yard and, and do a burnout. And mm-hmm. Sometimes that would escalate and you'd get both wheels off in the yard. And there was a, a guy in particular that I don't think anyone really cared for in town. And we did his yard a couple times and he started putting boards out with nails in them sticking <laughs> up. <laughs> Good on him. Yeah. But- <laughs> the main characters in Boonville on the seamy side of life. He was working there at the shop when I started working. One, they only had about three or four workers, and he was working there already. He, he was involved in massage parlors or everything else guys were thinking about. He did, just about, you know, he just, I don't know if he didn't have any, didn't see a problem with it, but he worked at some massage parlors in Evansville, and then he eventually opened up his own. He was always telling us some story about, you know, that type of life. And, of course, it piqued our interest because it was just so far-fetched from what we knew anything about. But he uh, one day he come into work and he had a little camera in his back pocket and he wanted to take off early. He was getting ready to open up the studio art theater, he called it. And basically he's going to let people come in and draw uh, nude figures, you know, he had this building, uh, I think it was on West Franklin Street in Evansville, and the plan was he was supposed to have some girls that would pose nude, and guys for a certain fee could come in and supposedly draw pictures or whatever else they did, I don't know. But anyway, he comes in that day, and he's all happy, he's all spiffied up. And what's going on, we ask him, and, uh, well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, meet, meeting some girls, and... Uh, you want to interview him for the job at the at the studio art theater? What? Yeah, you mean we saw the ad in the paper, so we knew was, he he had put an ad in the paper for models to to model at a studio art theater. Yeah, I got two of them answering my ad, and we're going to meet up, and I'm going to interview him. We just flabbergasted that anybody would answer an ad like that to pose nude. So he takes off early, midday or so, and he's gone, you know, and. When he comes back to work, work the next time, well, what what happened? Yeah, they showed up. We were met down there by the river, and they stripped off. Whoa. Oh, surely not. Surely not. Oh, yeah, yeah. I took pictures. I got them. I'll show them to you when I get back. Sure enough, the, the pictures eventually came back. He showed them to us. And these girls just met down. He had his car right there with his own license plate on it, so we could see that it was him and his pictures. <laughs> And they just started taking their clothes off. Wow. And they were nice-looking girls, it appeared to be. So he ended up getting a, a letter from the photographer place to sue him. What had happened was he had sent his film off to one of these mail-in uh, photo places like they had back then because he didn't want to have them developed locally. And uh, I think they had an ad in the paper somewhere. We'll, they kind of enticed you a little bit. We'll develop anything. Anything you send to us, we'll develop for you. 
So uh, they kind of, I guess, lent themselves to the seamier side of life. So, well, anyway, he gets a lawyer, a letter from their lawyer going to sue him because what happened was when their employees saw these pictures, these naked girls, they mass produced them. Just made hundreds and hundreds of them, maybe thousands, and cost this company a whole bunch of money. Well, how's it his fault? Well, of course, they couldn't do anything. He had a lawyer on retainer. I think the deal was this lawyer represented him just to get the inside scoop of all of escapades. It was their entertainment, and worth it to them to hear what was going on, to have Harold involved, and so they just represented him, you know. Because they countersued, said, we're going to sue you for uh, using our pictures without our permission. Yeah. And that was the end of it. Living under a rock, and the way I was raised, so protected, you know, that was just so bizarre that anybody would do that. Did he ever tell stories about the massage parlors? The guys there would kind of egg him on, try to dig more information out of him. I will tell you this, he told us he was going to put an ad in the paper, and we saw it. I, the prankster, had to call that number, and I tried to act effeminate, and I said, do you take guy models? <laughs> And they started asking some questions, and I hung up. I got chickened out, you know. Uh-huh. Well, within a few minutes, my phone rang, and they figured out who it was. <laughs> Did you just call it? <laughs> I tried to pull a prank, you know, like I was going to be a male model, you know. Uh-huh. But, yeah, he had this massage parlor up in Rio, Indiana. It was on a main highway where truck drivers go by. He told us some of the weirdos. There's some weird people in this world, some of the things they requested. He's always in a squirmish with the law. You know, the people didn't want him up there. and He was always filing whatever they file, you know. They always found some kind of loophole in the law where they get around it. But I don't know how long he was in business. Several years, I think. He probably made a bunch of money. But So he was dealing in prostitution, maybe? Pretty much. Oh, my goodness. You know, they say it's not so on the surface, but he had uh, he got this building and he fixed up the rooms where... He had a hall. He could go beside each room, and he had some way to observe, to make sure to protect his girls. And so if something was going on, I don't know how it was. I never went there myself. He, he said I could have a complimentary oh, visit huh? if I wanted. But uh, he had a way. I guess he knew from experience working in a massage parlor, you had to have some way to watch your girls and make sure somebody wasn't treating them rough. I don't know. But hmm. he was a good guy. He was a guy. I shouldn't say a good guy. <laughs> He was a guy you wanted to be your friend. Uh-huh. You didn't want him to be your enemy. And okay. he, he was a friend in that respect. You know, I, did, I was careful not to make him mad. And he wasn't easy to make mad. I mean, he wasn't out looking for trouble. But he was just in a different vein of life. Mm-hmm. But he had rent houses in town, and I guess they were pretty rough. And people would get drunk and tear up his houses, and he would, he would settle the score with them. <laughs> and one guy, he... Happened to run across in an alley somewhere. Somebody had treated him wrong. He beat him up good. So the guy took off and called the cops, you know. So this guy just laid down over in the side of the alley. When the cops came, he said, hey, man, somebody beat me up. They just beat me up. So he turned the cards on him like they had beat him up, you know, uh-huh. when it was the other way around. So he kind of got off on that, you know. He accused the guy. Of be- and, of course, wow. they found him laying in the alley. You know, who else would think of that? Man. He was involved in another parlor on 41, North 41 in Evansville. One of the guys, he was a Boonville guy. I can't think of the name. I wouldn't say it if I knew it. But he was involved in this, it's called K's 
It was a massage parlor. This guy, nobody liked. He was known to have a big roll of money on him, and they found him dead out there by a pump house. Wow. And the story was, the pump house, the water that, this was a little bit out of town, the water that was supplied to that building was on a pump, a well, outside on the back part of the property. And they were continually having problems with it. They had to go out there and jiggle the switch or something to get the water to work. The story was this guy had been beat up and killed, and they thought it was a, a piece of water pipe that was laying around out there, that somebody had hit him over the head with a water pipe. Mm. And we had heard the stories, you know. It was a big ordeal. That, that, and was, he was a suspect, and he may have done it. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But the guy was so disliked, you know, they kind of considered it, well, you know, he'd done everybody a favor. <laughs> but anyway, being my prankness... <laughs> When we heard, the suspicion was this guy got hit over the head with a water pipe. When I heard <laughs> coming out to the shop to visit, I found an old piece of water pipe and cut some bristles off of a paintbrush and glued them to the side of this pipe like it was head hair. Oh, and then we had some we had some deep red paint that I sprayed on it, dripped on it to make it look like blood. And when <laughs> I would come in, I had him... Hang that pipe. I never saw his face go so white and him so mad. Whoa. He didn't want to have anything to do with that. It's lucky he didn't, he didn't hit me over the head. But uh, I just thought it was fun, but he, it was too sensitive for him, you know. And tattooed on her back was a good old rack on sack. The place where I long to be. guy that he kind of thought he'd been taking advantage all his life he was short in stature he was the water boy for the ball team and he kind of thought he'd been picked on most of his life and he may have been i don't know but it made him to where he wanted to get over on the system any way he could anything he get free coupons or buy one get one free he was just that was just the way he was and we thought a lot of times when he'd go to a restaurant, he would intentionally find something wrong to try to get a complimentary meal, complimentary meal out of it. I don't know if it was conscious, but it did happen a lot. It got so when Harry went on vacation, that was a topic of discussion. How many free things did you get, Harry? <laughs> and he would tell about all the different restaurants he went to, the activities, and how that he was able to get a, a free... If he went to a motel, he complained about the... The noise or something, and they'd get a, a free night stay the next time they came through town. That was just his mission in life, and, you know, he was obsessed with it. He got into a tangle with the telephone company over a bill they had made a mistake on. It was like seven cents. <laughs> and he was all lathered up, working at Tizzy, and this went on days and days. He'd call, and they'd fuss and fume. And I finally told him, I said, Harry... He said, you're just hurting yourself. You're not hurting the phone company. I said, I'll give you the seven cents. Just, you know, because you, you're, you're suffering so much. You're just, and it offended him. He said, Dave, I've been mistreated all my life and taken advantage, and I'm not going to have nobody do it to me anymore. Wow. That was just the way he was. Uh-huh. I remember one time we went to a hardware store, and I think it was a special event. You might have went up there to get something legitimately, but they had free popcorn and hot dogs. And so you told us to go over and get some. And then we saw Harry there. 
And I think we said, hey, Dad, we saw Harry. He said, yeah, he's probably feeding his entire family of <laughs> free popcorn. <laughs> that was going to be their lunch. Yeah, that was his theme of life, to get to get a deal or get an advantage on somebody. The trouble is, it made his life miserable. He was always complaining. Every appliance they bought, every bed they bought, the mattress wasn't any count. It just, you know, it was his lifestyle. It just, but he was determined he was going to get justice, you know. Mr. Five by Five He's five feet tall and he's five feet wide He don't measure no more from head to toe At one of the shops I worked at, it was kind of a shotgun building. The office was in the front and you go through the office to get back to the shop where us grease monkeys worked. And uh, one of the employees, his wife, had a habit of maybe once a month or so she'd make a batch of chocolate chip cookies and bring them to the guys in the shop well she had to pass to the main office and there was this always this overweight salesman that no one liked you know because he's up there in the air conditioning and doing nothing in his fancy clothes and he always grabbed a couple of the biggest cookies on top and she didn't have any choice in the matter he just did it you know and it made her mad so they decided he's going to get even with him so they had planned, him and his wife, they made some, a batch of chocolate chip cookies, but a couple of them, or at least one large one, they put x lacus in it instead of chocolate chips. <laughs> and so on top of that, the bathroom was in a long, narrow hall, kind of a damp, dark thing. They knew eventually he'd have to go to the bathroom, so they took the toilet paper out. Oh, no. They took the light bulb out. <laughs> they put water on the floor. <laughs> put saran over the commode <laughs> and you know just waiting so just like they expected she brings the cookie suit and he grabs the great biggest one on the middle and on top and it had an x-lax and I don't know how long it took all of a sudden he comes running out of the office and goes in that bathroom there's no light you don't have time to do anything no toilet paper you don't have time to go get it wrong oh, no. the floor's covered in water and you squat down to go and the the bowl was covered in saran wrap. <laughs> the mess of all messes. And they hee-hawed and hee-hawed and hee-hawed. And lo and behold, he finally decided he needed to go to the doctor. And he went to get to go to the doctor. And it just so happened, one of the guy's wives happened to be in the office that day, sitting in the waiting room. And he comes flying through the door and said, you need to see the doctor. Well, you have to wait. He says, I ain't got time to wait. And he <laughs> took off and left, you know. But That same day? That same day, yeah. So he thought he was ill. I don't know what he thought. I'm also bloated because I pass no gas. I'm also bloated because I pass no gas. Back when Mom and Dad were both alive, they were traveling with Martha somewhere, their oldest daughter, my sister. And um, they stopped along the highway in some town to eat a meal at Long John Silver's. And at some point, they had uh, ordered their food, and then Mom needed to go to the restroom. Well, she was having trouble with her legs already. You know, she's pretty old. She's in her late 70s, I guess, at that time. And she went in the restroom there at Long John Silver's while they're waiting on their meal to come. Well, the food comes, and Mom still hadn't come out of the restroom, so eventually Martha, my sister, goes to check on her. This is before everybody carried a cell phone, you know. And she knocks on her and says, Mom, you okay? She says, no. She says, my legs won't work. I can't get up. And apparently she had set to where the, cut the 
circulation off her legs. Her legs went to sleep, and she couldn't get up. And they tried everything. Well, Mom, move your legs, stretch your legs out, do. And they couldn't get any resolution. So they finally had to go to the management and say, uh, do you have a key to the bathroom? Mom's locked in there, and she can't walk. She to can't the, get up. To the stall, key to the stall? Or and this is the main door. This is the door of the restaurant. Oh, man, okay. And they didn't have a key. They couldn't find a key. Oh, no. And the hinges... The hinge pins are on the inside. Uh, there is no way to get in that door. So, I don't know who they called or what, but they had to tear the door down to get in there. It took hours to do uh, this at Long John Silver's. So, you can imagine my mom sitting on the pot, can't get up, people tear the door down. <laughs> so, eventually, they get the door down, they give them some privacy, and Martha goes in to help her get her clothes back on and got her clothes on. She still couldn't walk. So they took a chair in there and moved her to a chair and they carried her out on this chair. And here's the funny part. I mean, that, that was a big fiasco. Uh-huh. They take her to the table and they sit there and eat the meal. You know, I would have been so mortified. I'd say, get me out of here. But, you know, the food had come, so mom sat there and they ate their food. Lunch on Silver's is pretty good, Dad. <laughs> so if you happen to be just passing by, stop in at the Saturday Night Fish Fry. It was Friday. Well, that wraps up this little visit. If you'd like to roll by some other locales, My dad also gave us a two-part tour of Evansville, Indiana, on episodes 216 and 181. Also, if you were ever wanting to get down to Nashville, Tennessee, another friend of mine, Reckless Dave, we'll call him, gave us a look-see around the Music City way back on In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile, episode 92. In the Corner, Back by the Woodpile is produced by A Closet, A Pocket, and A Suitcase. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or podbeam.com. If you'd like to send us some hate mail, you can email us at spuncounterguy at hotmail.com. See ya, and I wouldn't want to be ya. One thing I know, no.